0: Welcome back to Roll for Enterprise, the podcast described as a squishy heart at the center of enterprise IT. With us this week, are Lilac and Zach. Mike is still traveling, but he'll be back next week, uh, which is great because we've got an exciting episode planned. We're going to be talking about enterprise sales and pricing from both sides of the table. Yes, I'm using exciting in the widest possible sense of that word, maybe stretching a point slightly. Okay. But we're looking forward to, to that conversation and I hope it will be interesting for you listeners as well. This week all of the conversation in Enterprise IT has been about Okta, to the point that I actually struggled to find much else to put into the, the running notes for this week's episode. To recap, in case you were just, for instance, busy with a reorg all week, lilac. Um Okta uh, got popped. If you're not familiar with Okta, they're a single sign-on provider. The idea is that instead of having to sign on to umpteen bazillion corporate services, uh, because like most companies, yours probably also uses a whole ton of SaaS services that are running off in the public web somewhere rather than safely in your own data center, So instead of having to log into each one of those and separately manage access and passwords and password resets, et cetera, et cetera, to each of those systems, your corporate IT department can just contract with Okta, and Okta will let you do single sign-on. You sign into Okta once with some sort of centrally corporate-managed credential, and then based on who you are and what your role is and whatnot, you'll have access to Slack and Figma and Salesforce.com and whatever else you need to do your job
1: and it's probably worth noting they also manage the multi-factor authentication component of this
0: correct if you're an OXA user you probably don't just sign in with a username and password it'll probably ask you for something else as well and so you can be using uh you know google authenticator or any in any one of an, uh, a number of other apps that will provide you with that uh, second factor for the auth so far so good that is Obviously, a fairly significant single point of failure. And sure enough, earlier this week, some screenshots surfaced from a hacking group called Lapsus with a Dollar. And uh, they were claiming to have been running roughshod around inside Okta's network for about two months since late January. And the screenshots were timestamped, I think it was 21st of January. Uh, At which the entire internet freaked out, I think is not too much of an overstatement because Okta is extremely widespread, and so somebody having put a hole in Okta would be very bad news for basically everyone. Okta initially denied these reports vociferously. We'll put a link to the CEO statement. Uh, But I think here is where we can start uh, taking some lessons from what went down, because Todd McKinnon, CEO of Okta, uh, left some pretty significant hostages to Fortune in his statement let's say and unfortunately it later turned out that his denial maybe should not have been quite so categorical because it turned out that people were inside octa's network and uh, he'd said that the matter was investigated and contained by the subprocessor so the the point of access was not actually octa it was a a third party contractor working for octa uh, and the turned out hadn't been entirely contained. There was a detailed statement that came out a little bit later in which Okta disclosed that, yes, actually, people had got in and got around their network. And potentially 2% of Okta's customers had been affected. And, yeah, a bad day was had by all as they tried to work out whether they were in the 2% or not.
1: Did they tell everybody?
0: One assumes that they disclosed to the effects of clients in private, uh, but
1: nobody's going to raise their hand and say, because that's obviously a, a weakness. Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah. And so it's interesting how this happened, right? So you, you had a, you know, uh, remote management software, third party, you know, uh, employee, um, you know, everybody's talking about zero trust, especially now when you go on, you know, your LinkedIn feed or whatever it might be. Everybody's pushing their company's security capabilities and zero trust, zero trust. Would that have even helped here? I, I don't think so. So, you know, how do you protect against this? This has been the age-old problem, you know? You ha- you can't you – know, you have to trust your internal employees, right? And this isn't the only um, uh, issue that, that's come out recently with, you know, coming from the inside, you know, uh, a security hack. But this makes me wonder, what has all this zero security discussion going on? Is it really helping here?
0: So when I was preparing for the to record this episode, they went looking for an old blog post of mine that I wrote not quite a decade ago, but not far off. Um, I think I was still working for Lilac at this point. I was talking precisely about this problem that um, our security posture used to be based around perimeter defense, city walls. You have the city wall and you have gates in the city wall and you come up to the gate and you have to explain yourself. But if you're allowed through the gate, then that's it. You have free run of the city. Uh, And that's how it used to be. You had a password to sign into the system, but once you're in the system, it's assumed that you're, you're okay to be in there and you can run around, you can do what's called lateral movement within the system without any further checks. And that's okay when there's a clear inside and outside. Things are running inside the data center. Uh, we authenticate with LDAP, Active Directory, what have you, that we control. And it's very clear inside and outside. What zero trust is supposed to be about, in my understanding, and yes, there's all sorts of debate about what zero trust actually means, uh, but is that we no longer uh, take that trusting uh, approach, and that because we've kind of knocked down the walls and everything's sprawling all over the place, uh, we don't rely on the perimeter, but we check people at every point. So uh, one example, because precisely of this problem of the insider threat, If someone gets hold of the keys or if someone is, you know, an employee and an insider and they are suborned, either their account gets stolen or they themselves are being blackmailed or whatever it might be, all bets are off. They can go and do whatever. So if you, on the other hand, take away that trust and check at every point, at every stage, try to segment down your trust to the most granular unit of measure possible. Uh, and check that, then you can can avoid these consequences. So in my world, the world of databases, we talk about field level encryption. So it's no longer a question of you have access to the database and can run queries, or you don't have access to the database and you can't run queries. You might run a query and have permission to run the query, but what you get back is still encrypted. It's encrypted with a second key. Or
1: redacted or Uh, something, right?
0: Right, exactly. And this is precisely to avoid the insider threat that someone who's the admin of the database for their job has to have the run of the database. Um, Maybe they still shouldn't have access to the contents of the database because they're sensitive. And so you take a zero trust approach and you encrypt or redact or whatever uh, at a field level, at an individual field level, as well as securing the, the access to the database, the ability to run queries in the first place. And... There's a whole combination of these sorts of things to prevent lateral movement, or at least it detects lateral movement. If you detect someone's doing something weird and squirrely, it's 5 p.m. on a Friday. Why is the front desk sign-in workstation suddenly doing gigabytes of traffic to the network management console? That seems weird. And oh, yeah, it turns out that somebody managed to sneak a USB Wi Fi access point onto it, and somebody's sitting in the parking lot tunneling into the network management console. That sort of thing. If, you've, if you're looking for unexpected patterns of behavior inside your network, not at the perimeter, but inside the network, you can detect uh, these things, even if at every step of the uh, people had the keys, the authentication, the whatever.
2: Yeah, and it's, I mean, Yes, that that's you're definitely right. There's also you know traffic flows. I mean, you know, you yep. don't need to go in and connect through a VPN client. Those things are gone. To your point, right? I mean, it's it's where, your traffic flow, right? So if I'm a remote user, I don't need to go through my corporate data center to access what I need to access. I can just go directly to the, well, cloud, the point. For right? The resource yeah. I'm trying to access is an exactly. AWS anyway. Exactly. Yeah. And, and <laughs> it's it, yes, exactly. And it's um, you know, but again, it's it's not the end all be all. So, you know, this happened. Um uh, that that doesn't really matter if that would have helped or not. I mean, unless you're, you know, um and let's be honest, there's bad actors inside of these organizations, right? So it's, you know, and I might point out that what was it a few weeks ago that the didn't the FBI warned against um we'll put a link in there, but I know they warned against um uh, an exploit, Kaspersky? right? Well, that too. Yeah, you're right about that. Mm-hmm. Yep, you're right about that. Who i could actually... have seen that coming? Like, truly.
0: <laughs> a mystery. It's
1: baffling.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, I think there was also something around multi-factor authentication. Didn't somebody call out... Um, uh, maybe it was actually... Um, yeah, the Russian hackers. Yeah, they're the ones that exploited a vulnerability in MFA security protocols. So, yeah, that's something else we'll put in, in there, but... Yeah, it's it's just interesting to me. Again, I, I, almost every organization, even if it's traditional, you know, um, technology companies that've been around, you know, twenty twenty five years, they're they're all telling zero trust, zero trust, our firewall is zero trust. This is zero trust.
1: Well, it's got a buzzword component to it now that that people are obviously going to adopt. It's going to be zero trust, low code, for a long time, and that's that's fine, I guess.
0: AI, machine learning. Web three crypto. That's right. All of it. <laughs> and
1: let's do some machine learning on the zero trust low code well, environment. Wait a minute, no and code. We can... We're not
2: gonna. We can't sneak in no code. To me, that's not really as much a buzzword. Maybe. Maybe a little bit. We'll bring that up next
1: maybe. week. We'll talk more about that. I think we need no code security. That would be really good. Oh,
0: I, I'm writing the the Y combinator proposal right now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> People are going to anchor on it, and I think the concern for me, at least, is that it feels like a. Um, from a, from a, just a, a positioning perspective of things like zero trust just feels like a marketing arms race. Right. Cause after, after zero trust, what do we have like negative trust? Like I, like we're just continuing.
0: Sub zero. That's right.
1: Kelvin <laughs> degree trust. Like I, I don't, I don't under, it creates this impression that, that you've solved this problem. You have not. Right. Um, and, and there's, there's actually never going to be a solution to this problem. Maybe I'm not the optimist in this bunch, which is not the surprise to anybody. Um, but this is an arms race. It will continue to be an arms race. Yes, you can detect people's patterns of behavior as being anomalous, but also a good hacker is going to make their behavior patterns not seem anomalous, right? They're going to try to ride the, the air currents of normal behavior and do their nefarious deeds over time, right? And, and the thing that I think is perhaps to me the most um, difficult, for us to grok in the greater world when we hear news like this is the time scales upon which people are operating, because I think we think of like the old school malware idea of a virus or a or some sort of um, uh, malware being being shipped out being written over some short span of time being shipped out, propagating, and sort of opening up a world of hurt, right Actually now hackers are very, very happy to invest months and years slowly, carefully, meticulously wearing down and understanding the defenses of the organizations that they're hacking and mimicking the behaviors that they need to mimic. And they have the patience of, of, of almost decades to solve these problems. And when you're fighting that kind of battle, it's a very different one.
0: And this is why we call them the, the APTs, the Advanced Persistent Threats. And that's where we might have got lucky as an industry because the Lapsus Group uh, who we previously discussed actually their prior uh, with us, so they were the ones who uh, complained that they 'd been illegally hacked back when they were hacking Nvidia, uh, which was just hilarious to me the The is strong, um, but it turns out that there there might be a reason uh, for their behavior that uh, Lapsus was led by a sixteen year old in Oxford, uh, the original one in the u k uh, who's some sort of multimillionaire cyber criminal. And so like all teenage boys, I uh, couldn't shut up about how amazing he was and uh, giving it large all over the Internet. And uh, sure enough, he got himself arrested together with a whole bunch of other people. So they may not have had the, the patience and the persistence to, to do that sort of thing, uh, which implies that out there there's some more patient entity, possibly state-sponsored, that is even now deeply embedded and just very quietly, not saying anything and avoiding coming to anyone's attention by avoiding those patterns of uh, behavior that can be detected by seeing lateral movement and network flow and
1: yeah I think that's right I just the I think that there's actually benefit in reframing the story along those time cycles a little bit um because it i I think that in in the sort of abrupt nature of, of, of hacking and breaches in the words and the language that we use around it, I think that it it's actually creates misconceptions for all people, right? For, for legal people, for end users, for consumers, for businesses about the, the nature of this um, warfare, that, that I don't think is beneficial to us. I think if we accept that this is a real long game, it's a difference between like, let's write out these next six weeks of COVID, which is how we felt in 2020, right? And saying, oh, the next two years is going to be an unbelievable crap show, right? And, and that spread is, is really significant in what you're fighting against and how you anchor and when you're disappointed and when you're, you know, I, I didn't anticipate that Christmas was canceled, right? This is the situation.
0: Yeah, this is not, what's that film? Swordfish. Uh, someone types really fast and right. then exciting things happen. Right. Yeah,
1: And then like the weird sort of green screen HTML code appears. And I'm not sure who ever coded <laughs> HTML on a green screen, but great.
0: Hey, since the Matrix, my terminal always has been green on translucent black. Of course it has. <laughs> so
2: you know, another thing too, along these lines, I, I read where Japan's self-defense forces have now launched a reorganized cyber defense unit. I mean, so this is this is serious across the board. So Japan says, "Look, we we think you know, outer space, cyberspace, you know, all this stuff, uh, now part of our uh, you know our, our defense ministry. I mean, our military, uh, you know, uh, going forward." So I, I don't know. It's just interesting, right? I mean the war going on, everything happening, and. The importance of security. Uh, I mean, we're seeing it firsthand. So I, I just, you know, I just think, how do we, how do we solve these problems, right? So this Octa, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, hack, if you will. I mean, 16-year-old sitting at home. I mean, this is, this is just crazy. I mean, you know, who would have thought that, right? I mean, it, we're not talking about somebody, and you know. You know, a group of, uh, you know, hackers, you know, somewhere that, you know, this is 16 year old sitting at home. I mean, just think about that. You know, six years ago, this, this, this person was, you know, with training wheels on a bike or whatever, you know, eight, nine years ago, right? And here they are, you know, hacking the database for Okta.
0: So it's crazy. Two things there. One, don't underestimate the willingness of a teenager to just rabbit hole themselves uh, on a topic and go super deep and dedicate all their time and attention to it. Well, grown-ups have jobs and lives that they're trying to pay attention to as well and uh, i may or may not have known people at university who have been up and down bt's internal network for years by that point i'm not sure whether the Statute of limitations has expired so i will not go any further but yeah it's uh that part of it is not at all surprising to me uh this is a lot of lots in common with mathematics, where you know by age twenty five, a mathematician is you know, ready to retire. Well, my point is that the net is castro
2: wide. That's my point, right? And I'm, I just oh, wanted yeah, to talk absolutely. a little more technically about what happened here.
0: Yeah, that's the the thing. You you shouldn't assume that this is uh, necessarily just because you're being hacked. It's the Mossad or the North Koreans or whoever. It can just as easily be a teenager in Moldova. Well, I suppose these days teenagers in Moldova have other concerns, but you know, it could be Nigeria. Is it could
1: Isn't be... Moldova where the Christmas Prince was set? No, not going to do that joke. Okay, all right. I, I enjoy that Moldova sounds like sounds like the sort of place where you would set a fictional romantic comedy set into Christmas time. I think they're all called Andova and Andoria and Moldova and all of those things.
0: Rubertania. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> the key thing here is I think there had been a certain amount of complacency that. Oh, security solve problem we got Okta, we got single sign on and i don't think you can ever assume that and you should have a plan for identifying when something has gone wrong and also a plan for reacting and communicating going back to the top uh, i think Okta's comms have not been the greatest and that's why you have plans. That's why you know the military has plans for anything up to and including flying saucers full of little green men landing on the White House lawn. Because if you have a flying saucer full of little green men on the White House lawn, the last thing you want to do is to try and get everyone on the conference bridge to work out what to do. You want to get the dusty binder down from the shelf, flip flip, flip, flip. Okay, here's what we the do. The
1: run book for aliens, is that what you're saying?
0: That is run book automation okay. for aliens. <laughs> <laughs> And but that's what you want for comms as well. You want to say, you know we we got breached. Here's what we do. We avoid first of all saying we did not get breached because if it turns out we did get breached, that just made it ten thousand times worse. Mm. Uh, we here's how we do the investigation. Here's how we communicate the investigation. Here's how we set expectations with the public, with the press, with everything. And it's always amazing to me how organisations continue to fumble this. This is not exactly new news. And yet, here we are. Well, I mean, what are they going to do? I mean, if you have, again, this wasn't done
2: by, you know, you know, I stripped the header of a packet and I went in there and I made some modifications or I spoofed this. I mean, this is literally somebody taking control of someone else's computer. A 10-year-old can do this, right? So what do you do? How do you protect against this? I mean, are we still really doing remote desktop? I mean, there's, you know, I don't know. Do we move further up the stack? Do we go to a SaaS? Do we, uh, do we look at, you know, maybe again do we uh, lilac won't like this do we do more no code i mean i don't know i mean what do we do right i am not against
1: no code i
0: would just like to put that out there if there's no codes there's no bugs that's right possibly (laughs) i mean i
1: I have no problem with no code I, i you know i i feel that that the visual basic i was using in 1996 essentially was the forbearer of no code i am fine with it it was horrifying um the bevels on the buttons were incredible um, I just want to put that out there. I'm here for this.
0: There we go. I wrote an amazing maze game uh, in about the same years. It's good times. If only we could go back to that. Anyway, still with the topic of uh, InfoSec, though from a somewhat different angle, there was an amazing story in the news. The FBI has been planting uh, geolocated adverts right on top of the Russian embassy in Washington, D.C., and they're so tightly geolocated that if you cross the street, you're no longer in the, in the catchment. But if you're outside the door or inside the grounds of the Russian embassy, you're getting these adverts saying, hey, want to talk? Uh, and I just love the uh, psychological warfare aspect of that. It's uh, everything that is wrong with our modern world, but done right. lilacs frowning very deeply.
1: Some things are beyond what I can communicate in words, and podcasts are not the medium for frowning deeply.
0: No, indeed, maybe you just need uh, virtual avatars.
1: That's the answer. Avatar exactly. podcasts.
0: <laughs> Zoom has built virtual avatars into their meeting software, which uh, takes us all back to those halcyon days of spring 2020, when all of us had snap camera for about five minutes and showed up at meetings as dogs and kittens and space aliens, until we all got bored of it. Uh, and then Zoom did actually break virtual cameras for a while with an update. And I think that's what killed that trend off definitively. Wasn't there a gentleman that the, was stuck judge, in cat? That was a cat. Yes, was, it was a cat. cat Oh, it was a, judge. Uh, yeah. I'm a
2: judge, a judge.
0: It category. was a lawyer, wasn't it? it,
1: was, it was a judge.
0: Your Honor, I am not a cat. It was a, it was a <laughs> old
1: man, actually. And, and so some part of that made it yes. perfect. <laughs> yeah,
2: yes. It was
0: a judge. I'm going to have to, uh, Your Honor. I am not a cat. Google actually auto completes that. <laughs> ah, yes, that is amazing. A Texas lawyer accidentally left a kitten filter on during a video conference call with a judge and was unable to remove it during the hearing and had to resort to, Your Honor, I am not a cat. Mm-hmm. I had forgotten about that. Thank you for reminding me. That was amazing. We'll the show notes so everyone else can enjoy it. It
1: was truly a moment. Yeah.
0: But yeah, in a way, I do miss those days. These days, the most excitement you get on video calls is seeing whether someone's blurred their background or left it uh, unblurred. Uh, That's about as much personalization as most people engage in.
1: I don't know. I enjoy the occasional pet walking through the frame. That works for me.
0: Well, exactly. That's why you should not zoom the background so that people can enjoy your home life spilling over. Back to the beginning, what I was uh, suggesting there, one thing that people have suggested, and also when it comes to the metaverse, is that we will no longer have our cameras on as such. We'll have cameras that are reading our facial expressions, but they'll be mapped onto an avatar in the metaverse that is replicating those expressions in the virtual space. And Lilac's Frown just broke the avatar's frowner. It just overflowed the frown buffer all the way around.
1: I'm I'm pro no code. I am not pro avatar. I just I don't know. I don't know why. I just I really struggle with avatars because I feel as though they. Um, Okay, so I'm going to go on a wild tangent. You guys might hate me for it, but hey, whatever. It's a a podcast. But I just always feel like avatars, I understand the desire to manifest yourself as like um, a saber-toothed tiger in a leather jacket. Like, live your best life, please. I, I respect your life choices. The thing that I find that I struggle with personally with avatars and with Snapchat filters and with Instagram filters and all of these things is that I actually think that they're detrimental to people's sense of self right? Now we sort of cannot have a picture and cannot move in the world as we actually physically are. Um, and yep. that to me is really negative as a, you know, as a as as a woman, we often have these sort of cultural stereotypes of how we're meant to present. And I often feel as though when I'm presented with an avatar, like you're usually dealing with a, a sexy saber tooth tiger in a leather miniskirt. And I, I just there is no option for, you know, um, middle-aged mom in the avatar world. I think nobody wants that particular, th- it always, even the ones that seem to try to be inclusive, always feel like they're extremely optimistic maybe. And, and it, I think that, I don't know. I just don't think it's that beneficial for in particular children or young people to constantly re re manifest their image in a way that makes the the reflection in the mirror seem subpar.
2: I, I like what you said, and I I agree completely. And who are they going after? Is that who Zoom is? I mean, that's have they now pivoted from their their business? Uh, you know, trying to di- you know go deep into the business now. Are they, I mean, that's how they're really what they started—more consumer based, right? I mean It's the reverse.
0: They they've always been enterprise. They're trying well, to finally trying to pivot to consumer. Uh, my personal trainer uses Zoom. He uses the free Zoom, so I get to see the come ons that you get after doing a free Zoom sessions. Uh, They used to be very enterprisey, and now they're all about individuals and how much you personally can benefit from having a paid pro Zoom account. So it's been an interesting shift to see. Um, But going back to Lilac's point as well, I think that's very, very valid, very well-made point. And I think we are still only just scratching the surface of it with computational photography. Again, not to rag on Zoom, but just since uh, we're talking about them, if you go into the Zoom preferences, I believe it's still the default uh, is uh, touch-up my appearance. And if you have a, a good webcam, it is eye-opening watching the the difference. It smooths all your pores and all your wrinkles. And uh, it's subtle, but not that subtle. Uh, it's uh, almost some canny valley. Uh, and that's turned on by default. And our iPhones are doing all sorts of processing, and your Androids, whatever, are doing all sorts of processing. The It's no longer a question of what comes in the sensor and hits the CCD is what you see on the screen. All sorts of stuff is happening along the render pipeline. And it's going to be a decision that we have to take. Because if we don't consciously take the decision, we'll end up taking it unconsciously about what we decide the world looks like. So I, I don't um, that's,
2: I don't yeah. agree by the way about Zoom not really being enterprise. Uh, I, I think of things like Microsoft Teams. I, I think Zoom tried to, you know, be you know, big players in the enterprise, but I think they're um with their acquisition, what was it? who did they tried to acquire recently. What was it cloud company? Five a couple, nine. Yeah. So you know, but, and I, I think after COVID hit, you know, a lot of the, you know, what do they call them? You know, baby zoomers, et cetera, et cetera. I, I don't I don't really think they were ever that deep into the enterprise so i I think i would disagree with that slightly and then from a technology perspective i think you know you know zoom uh compared to teams i mean this is where i think microsoft took off yeah
0: but zoom had been going for for a long time remember back when you and i worked together zach we were at a zoom company and yeah but i mean what the new hip startups used who were too cool for webex uh sorry cisco
2: yeah i think the needs changed though right once covid hit and i think that's when it was adopted and
0: with COVID, yeah. They, but we talked about this at the time. I'll have to dig up the episode reference. But I think they bungled a shift to consumer two years ago when they had that moment where they had all those security problems. And that was because they they didn't quite understand how different it was being in the consumer world. The one that's I think is particularly emblematic is they had this issue where they had this feature, which is a useful feature in the enterprise world, that if you and I have the... At roleforenterprise.com email address, when we sign into Zoom, we get added to each other's contact books and calendars and whatnot in Zoom, which is fine if we're, you know, roleforenterprise.com and we subscribe to a corporate Zoom account. That's a useful feature for us. If we are actually two private citizens and we are customers of localisp.com, and that, then that doesn't work. And Zoom had tried to address this by commenting out, you know, gmail.com and hotmail.com and the obvious ones. But a whole bunch of like Dutch ISPs had not made it onto that list. And the customers of those ISPs were like, who are all these people? I don't know these people. Why are they in my Zoom? And that that's the sort of thing that tells me that Zoom thought it was a corporate service and was rapidly trying to pivot to being more personal oriented service.
2: I remember, I remember that episode we, we spoke about what they need to do to really dig into the enterprise yeah. and they tried to do it and they didn't do it. And I think the lines are blurred. So when you say consumer market, I mean, what what, what is a consumer product? I mean, it's not really a market there. I mean, there was during COVID, but there's not really a market there. You know I mean?
1: I don't know. I don't. I'm going to argue that actually, Zach. I think that I think that there's more consumer-ish market. When I think about what that is, that's education. Oh, that's what
2: I'm saying, though. That's a blurred line. What you, consumer-ish? What is the ish? I mean, no, no, no ish. Is it consumer or not? I think that's a blurred line. I mean, so give me. I mean, so go ahead. I like finish that. I like. No, to I mean, I guess my
1: thought is. We look at something like OutSchool runs exclusively on Zoom. The end user of an OutSchool session is a seven-year-old or a 10-year-old. So the, the UX and the function of the thing had better be pretty consumer. On the other hand, there's an enterprise component to the OutSchool being an organization, right, that's providing a service. Um, but I think that that ultimately Zoom is stuck in that horrible situation where some large percentage of the people who are paying – who Zoom is paid for by one organization and used by another human. And that second human could often be somebody who's essentially a child, a consumer, not a corporate entity. And so you've got this, they essentially are operating in a channel model. When Zoom is selling its services to OutSchool and OutSchool is using it to fuel education for seven-year-olds, OutSchool becomes essentially a Zoom OEM. And they have- That's a... not
2: consumer. That's not consumer. No, it's a school using it. There's a guy in an IT department supporting that or a girl barely. supporting that. No, that's not consumer. I mean, what doesn't matter if it's barely. It's still a part of it. I mean, that's not true consumer.
1: But the UX that's has to be idiot simple. About. You can't ask a 10-year-old to fix an IP configuration. Like everything about the user experience and the way in which they interact with Zoom has to be iPhone app stupid.
0: There's definitely an overlap between- what a consumer user needs and an enterprise user needs and and we just we went through this uh whatever it was 15 years ago when people started bringing iPads to work and demanding to use their iPhones instead of their blackberries and that's uh i i think that that's a very clear a change that there has been that said it was no longer tolerable to people that the enterprise product would be ugly. I think Zach's also getting at another valid point that it's not yet clear why someone would pay uh, for for Zoom apart from for work. And so that's why avatars and fun features um, are worth trying. Certainly if you're Zoom, I'm not sure whether that's what will put them over the top, uh, but it's certainly worth giving it a go. Um, Because the alternative is Skype and Skype was ubiquitous. And if it didn't come back during COVID, it's it's dead, Jim.
1: (laughs) Skype is dead. FaceTime though, did did good business during COVID, right? I recognize that's part of the platform, but like to me, FaceTime video, WhatsApp and Zoom were the three options for engaging like in video with friends and family. And And Zoom had the benefit of screen share in a way that FaceTime doesn't quite live the same and and like the benefit of different platforms, like a, like a Chromebook or, right. But I agree. I canceled my Zoom subscription as a personal user. I I had it for the longest time so that my father and my child could, I don't know, play Settlers of Catan together. Um, Now I I don't need it in my life.
0: Yeah. That's where... And I hope this doesn't turn into another massive tangent, so we'll have to split it into two episodes. But that's where I really want uh, an all-in-one device that is a video-calling device that is not Facebook. What I want is the Facebook portal without Mark Zuckerberg inside it. Uh, Something that has a webcam in it and a big screen and doesn't have a million wires going everywhere. And that you can turn it on and talk to grandma uh, as a a moderately intelligent five-year-old that's something that needs to exist and doesn't yet. Like I say, I was doing, um, because apparently we were back to 2020, I caught the COVID this week. Don't worry, I'm all better. Um, But it means I wasn't able to visit my personal trainer, so I was doing a session at home over Zoom. So I do have the big TV with the webcam perch on top of it and all of that. And getting there was a not inconsiderable faff. And I would not want to try and talk someone through doing that. Uh, we need a a device that lets us do that. And the service that gets there, whether it's FaceTime and we all go one ratchet deeper into the Apple ecosystem or it's Zoom or someone else, I think it's clear that Facebook missed the boat on that, luckily, Uh, but they they will win the home, the connected home. Oh, you know, we'll all live in the metaverse. That's
1: the plan. Hmm. That's my plan is to live in the metaverse.
0: And you can have animated GIFs as your wallpaper. On which note, one sad note, uh, the inventor of the GIF has died after getting COVID. Uh, So, yeah, it is still out there, despite all our talk about wanting to get back to in-person events. And do keep on wearing your mask and being careful. Uh, But also, it turns out the inventor of the GIF pronounced it wrong. I'm shocked. Apparently, he pronounced it GIF. (laughs) Which makes me question how he thinks the word graphics is pronounced.
1: (laughs) I feel that he's the authority on this topic, and he should be respected.
0: See, normally I would, but on this, I think this is the hill that I would choose to die on. (laughs) Okay. What a
1: hill. What a hill. (laughs) A real real lump on the ground for you to die on here. Okay.
0: (laughs) Yeah, pimple. (laughs) Anyway, on that note uh, of... Shattering disappointment. Uh, Do check in next week. Uh, Mike will be back. We'll be talking enterprise sales and pricing. It will be riveting. I promise to include fun special effects to keep you awake. When it comes to recommendations, I'm continuing to recommend uh, MongoDB World 7th through 9th of June in New York City. With my discount code DominicWellington25, you can get 25% off. And it will continue to get more expensive as it gets closer to the date. So if you think you're interested, it's never going to be cheaper than it is today. It's going to be substantially more expensive as you get closer and closer, you know, the usual way these things work. If you can't be in New York City for several days in June, don't worry, it's also going to be streamed and archived and hybrid because, as we said, COVID is not over. Everyone's situations are different. Uh, So that is an alternative as well. But I, for one, I'm looking forward to in-person events being a thing once more. With that, do follow the show on Twitter at rule 4 enterprise at number four or on our LinkedIn page. Uh, send us suggestions or questions for that uh, enterprise sales and pricing discussion next week. The theme music is by my friend Renato Podesta, and we will talk to you next week.
2: Thanks, everyone. Thank
0: you.